Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group, checking in with Massachusetts' new CIO. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. Pennsylvania's current IT office opposes a bill circulating through the state legislature to restructure IT operations in the state. The bill would restructure the state's IT office and create a unified spending mechanism for technology across the Commonwealth. Former state CIO John McMillan testified against a previous version of the bill in 2021, calling it, quote, overly prescriptive. Washington, D.C. has a new interim CTO. Stepping into the role is Mike Rupert, who has been with the office since 2014 in, in various roles. He told StateScoop that he's planning to continue the work on digital services and expand the city's community internet program. New York State Chief Technology Officer Rajiv Rao has resigned. The resignation, which was filed March 24th, ends his government tenure of more than 11 years. Rao's resignation also comes after a voluntary leave of absence, while the state inspector general's office looked into how he and the state's now former acting budget director handled various contracts. You can find these stories and more at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. Massachusetts' new CIO Jason Snyder will prioritize cybersecurity, data, and digital services in his role. Snyder, who is also the former CTO at Harvard University, returns to state government 10 years after he left. He was previously CTO for the state as well until 2013. Snyder is the first CIO appointed by Governor Maura Healey, who was inaugurated earlier this year. Snyder tells State Scoop's Benjamin Freed how the new administration is approaching tech. I think uh, this administration has a real focus on, on working together and on uh, you know, truly acting as a team. And that's been apparent in, in my return. And I think IT, has the fact that it's the secretariat and that being a cabinet member as a member of IT, I think has, has really empowered the idea of what IT can do. If you think about every service that we provide underlying every service that the government provides is an IT application or website. And so I think being there and being part of the discussion and working through different solutions is essential from an IT perspective and has has been wonderful. It's It's been great to return. I have many friends who are still here. In, t- in fact, there are some teams that the team is the same team as when I left and uh, everybody's everybody's been very welcoming, and uh, it's been a wonderful experience. I've been, you know, drinking from the proverbial fire hose, but it's a a welcome drink. So, so how how did you um I guess how how, how did you end uh in this role? Was was getting back into uh government service something you had been interested in, or did uh Governor Healy's team come come knocking when they were looking to build out? Her, her administration? I, I think for me, getting back into public service. So I've always been very, very mission driven. And so that, you know, so Harvard was a great fit as well. But I think the opportunity to work for this administration uh, and and drive the the change that was being described uh, was 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 incredible. So I think they they drew me in with the promise of, of being involved to help drive much needed change within Massachusetts. Can, can we uh, get more specific about what changes that uh, you're hoping to drive that the, that the governor is hoping to drive across, across the Commonwealth? 
Sure. So, I mean, clearly there's a lot of um, broad programs that, that work outside of IT, and then there's a focus there. But within IT, I think there's there's the focus on cybersecurity and, and what we can do uh, to help there. IT accessibility and, and expanding the role of IT accessibility and usability for our constituents. I think uh, providing a, a true... Uh, consistent experience for our uh, for the Massachusetts constituents and how they can access our our different applications and websites in a coherent fashion, making things simple for uh, our, everybody using state services so they can very quickly and easily get uh, access to the the services that they are responsible that they're uh, intended to get. Um, and you know how 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 often do you get to actually talk to the you know talk with the governor about about these and you know what's her what's her level of engage what's her, what would you say her her level of engagement on on this is? We have weekly cabinet meetings. Uh, so at a minimum, there's those weekly cabinet meetings. But in addition, we have a series of one on ones with both uh, her and her staff and Lieutenant Governor, and uh, they're scheduled monthly. So quite a bit of involvement and uh, nary a day goes by where I don't have at least some level of contact with the governor's staff. Yeah. So you were in government eight years ago uh, as, as, as the chief technology officer. What, what would you say, you know, what are some of the biggest, you know, what's cha what changed uh, in those eight years that, uh, you know, between uh, your, your, your stints in, in public service? What were, what were some of the biggest differences? I think one of the biggest differences, so ITD, that's what it was called when I was here, Information Technology Division, yeah. was a service provider for the different agencies of the Commonwealth. And so that was its entire focus. Its mission was about providing a series of information technology services like the network, for example, email, things like that. And, and those have continued. But what's been quite evident with the expansion of, you know, this into EOS, into the secretary, is the expectation of technology leadership within the secretary and beyond. So working across the agencies of the Commonwealth, not only to provide services, but to provide technology leadership, where we're actually working and, and providing cons consultative services, advisory services, uh, standards, uh, other policy updates, and we're actively working to ensure that there is a a consistent vision and practice of IT at the Commonwealth. So it all relates to technology leadership in my mind. Yeah. So you were up uh, at the State House a few weeks ago uh, for your budget hearing, and uh, what we had what we recorded at the time is that you, you named cybersecurity, data, and digital services as as some of your your top priorities. Um, now I know specifically on cyber, you've there, there's a there's there's a big boost in the in the budget this year uh, for that. Can you talk about some of the things that you're hoping to do on that front? Yes. So with cybersecurity, I've really focused on municipal outreach. I've I've actually talked with uh, many municipalities, and I, I continue next week. I, I follow up with Franklin County, and what we're seeing overwhelmingly 
is interest and in, by the municipalities in assistance in what we can do to provide uh you know if, if there's an incident what we can do to help them and there's genuine fear like they're unprepared and so one of the things that just started is the cyber incident response team the cert the mass cert and that is chaired by me and it involves members of public safety including the state police fusion center and members of the national guard and so we we're building these relationships so in the case of a cyber incident, we already have a team that's formed and is ready for not only state agencies, but municipalities to take advantage of, of that group existing and being ready to help them through such an incident. So their services are not lost. You've also got that that uh, local, uh, those local grants for uh, uh, cyber hygiene training uh, that, that uh, you just awarded uh, recently. Yes. Yeah. And that's the, how exciting is that? And I just want to get the, the stats for it. So I get everything right with it. So um, we have uh, rolled out a uh, hundred and so yeah, the municipal cybersecurity awareness grant program, we've rolled out cybersecurity training to over 50,000 municipal and public school employees for 177 municipal organizations. Yeah. You know, that's 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 significant. Yeah. So, um, and then you're also, I'm sure, uh, in the throes of uh, dealing with the, the the federal cyber grant program as well. Yes. So that that's another thing where we have a significant amount of money. Um, I think it's, I always get the numbers on there and get it right. So, so we have, it's a, the program itself was a $1 billion federal grant program. And we have $16 million of, of funding that we can distribute across uh, the municipalities or work to develop something in the center and offer them all something. Uh, so that's quite a bit of money. You, we do have to, if you, you know, think about distributing across everybody, it actually works out to, to be a fairly small amount. So how do we best use that money to help everybody with their cybersecurity needs is uh, the question at hand. You're, you're also looking to do some new things on digital on the digital services front. Um, I know you, you told the legislature about uh, a, a chatbot for uh, survivors of domestic violence. Uh, what are some of the, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about about that, that or some other some other projects that you're uh, hoping to tackle? Sure. So the chat bot, uh, that's an exciting, you know, use of, uh, of AI and, and just assistance. We have over 10 enterprise applications right now currently using it, including DOR. So you think about everybody, you know, filing taxes now, they'll appreciate that assistance, RMV currently. Yeah. So we continue to roll out chat bot. Uh, but I think the digital strategy goes far beyond that. And in my mind, it is truly about how do we create a consistent and integrated experience for anyone accessing state services. Today, if you think about it, if you log into the RMV and then you log into something within, I don't know, UHHS, it's as if you're two different people. In both instances, you're creating a separate identity. And if there's information between the two that could help, 
you know, if you were just in an accident, for example, um, there's no record of that in either system. There's, they're separate from each other. And so providing an integrated experience where not only can we, you know, identify, okay, you're the same person, but, you know, your data is the same and your experiences are the same. And by the way, you know, your next RMV appointment's coming up in a month and you should get ready for that. All of this, we could create a, a truly integrated, unique experience that would be, I think, first in the nation uh, that would help all of our constituents using state services in a a way that's predictable yeah. and assistive. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it, that actually sounds pretty, a lot, that actually uh, reminds me of things. I, I've talked to other, other CIOs recently about uh, AI. Obviously, it's as big of a hot a topic as ever uh, right now. Uh, but one recurring theme uh, is, seems to be that it's only as good as the data that it's being fed. Yeah. So, you know, how 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 focused are you on making sure that all the state's data is clean and up to date and you know flowing nicely? <laughs> yes. So that's a big problem, right? Uh, not surprisingly, that the SCIO Council did identify as one of its strategic objectives, data analytics, because first of all, uh, because of the siloed data systems that we have each system record is only as good as what it's aware of. And so an example would be if you're at the RMV and you change your address, your address will be updated with the RMV, but another system may have no awareness that you just changed your address. And, and so ensuring that we are providing an integrated data system is sort of foundational to being able to provide that analysis that you described. Um, so, uh, I want to talk a bit about your time, uh, between administrations, uh, you were at, you were at Harvard for about seven, eight years, nine and a half, I think. nine and a half, nine and a half. Yeah. It went by quickly though, but yes, nine, nine and a half. So you had a lot, so you had a lot of, uh, uh, big roles there. I know, uh, you know, you were, you were overseeing, their, their cloud the cloud strategies, enterprise architecture, identity management. Um, you know, tell, talk a bit about you know your experiences. Uh, you know, in working in in the higher ed space. Uh, you know, compare you know how it compared to um, you know your your public you know public or private sector experience. Sure. So first of all, I, I would say work, you know, if you're looking for an industry that is most similar to the government sector, it's it's higher ed. I would I would say that. Um, primarily because if you think about the importance of collaboration and working across distributed silos, both higher ed and the government share that. In both cases, it's not a matter of being autocratically being able to say, okay, we're gonna do X. Everybody's like, okay, we'll do that. In all cases, you're constantly building that uh, foundation of of people who, you know, the coalition of the willing, if you will, is, is the way to get things done. And so that's one direct similarity, and one one thing I think my government experience directly helped with my success at Harvard. Working at Harvard was great. I'm I'm most proud of, you know, we were one of the first higher ed institutions in the country to migrate to the cloud. We shut our data center 
which was located in Cambridge. Hmm. And we were able to uh, migrate the data center almost in its entirety into AWS or into the cloud. Yeah. And uh, it was an enormously successful project. And uh, we were able to say not only save money, but introduce operational improvements, uh, more automated response to things, more, more uh, improved security, and all of that was directly related to our cloud migrations. Something, and train an entire staff of people who, who went from system administrators to DevOps engineers. So yeah, how do you get people to make that transition? Because that can be a that can be a, a, a that can be a big shift for for people, and and maybe and and some you know this is maybe not you know unique to a higher ed environment, but you know. I guess it, you know this, it. It is, speaks more more to you know. This is really a leadership question. How do you you know what's your, what's your you know what are your what's your strategy in in, in getting you know in getting people to make these big changes? Yeah, I think it starts with listening. I think it really does start to you know understanding. So every person comes into any kind of change with the question, you know, what is in it for me, and what does it mean to me. And I think going into it and, and understanding that that's their perspective and finding out from them what their fears or concerns are about that change and then spelling out explicitly, okay, we are providing a path for you to grow into this and this will benefit you in the following ways and here's why we're doing it. I think spelling that all out for every individual was was critical and and they felt that they were you know not only did they feel they were at the table in the decisions that we were making in the migration to the cloud so we were discussing openly okay what kind of training was needed what kind of uh software solutions were needed what were the different approaches we could take to migrate to the cloud we had open discussions where we actively sought feedback and then adopted our strategy iteratively in the migration to the cloud. It was a very difficult project. We worked, because we were leading in the technology arena, uh, way ahead of everybody else in higher ed, we were doing a lot of pilots and finding things out and then you know redirecting based on the responses of, of that pilot. And we got there, we got there uh, with all of the successes that we were aiming for. But getting there did take a lot of uh, redirects and changes just to account for, okay, we tried this, that didn't work, let's move on. And I think another aspect, we encouraged people to try different things and then actively, if it was a, if it didn't work out, there was no punishment, there was no, you know, why did you do this? We would learn from the experiences, move on. And I think everybody felt a part of that. They felt they were part of a learning environment and that is what made us successful. Uh, do you do you feel do you, do you anticipate you'll have those kinds of uh, opportunities to to you know foster those you know you know similar kind of changes uh, at uh, back with the state now? I think we'll have a lot of opportunity. Uh, I've actively sought out uh, feedback from the team. We defined strategic goals for the secretariat, and we didn't do it with me just telling everybody, "Okay, here are the goals." We did it actively where we brought all the leadership into the, into a room. We talked about what was important to them. And then we all voted. 
and we identified the top five goals for EOTS. And then we presented it out to the general staff. There was active support for it. They're like, this sounds like the right goals for us as an organization. So we saw, A, we, we organized the goals in a way that was collaborative across all of our leadership team. And then we presented it out to everybody and asked for immediate feedback. What, what are some of the what are some of those goals that, that you that you uh, developed? So the five goals we have service excellence, employee engagement, built working with that and that one relates to working with the employees so they feel empowered and so that they uh, feel that their their contributions are valued. Digital strategy, which includes usability and accessibility. The IT consolidation effort, where we're consolidating certain uh, services associated with primarily infrastructure and service desk into EOTS, which allows the individual agencies to focus on mission-centric IT development, like applications and data analysis associated with, with their agencies. And then an IT project success focus on what we can do to provide standards, uh, architecture support, to ensure that the significant IT investments that we make are successful. So, you, you know, you. I think one one thing you, maybe you said you you said uh, when you were talking about your first uh, your first go in state government is that back then IT was much more of the operational service desk type, and now you are a full secretariat. You're the secretary, so you know. Just wrapping up, and I think we got to wrap up in a minute. Um, you know. What would you say the you know the biggest differences between you know where you know now having that that you know real you know strategic leadership position um, uh, uh, you know compared to how things used to be? I, I think we have to create the environment that uh, where we seek out opportunities to lead and we seek out. Uh, problems to solve together with our agencies. And I, I think that that area, that that sort of that muscle that hasn't been used as much within EOTS is essential for us to be successful as technology leaders across the agencies. What I do hear when I talk to the agency IT leads is active interest in that kind of assistance. And I, and I think if we come in and we use our experience and our, uh, we work together to identify different experiments to try and then learn from those experiments and move on. And uh, I think those are, are positive ways to really help the agencies in an area where they, I think, I think they need the help. Jason Snyder, Chief Information Officer for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. You can read more about him and his priorities at statescoop.com and it links in today's show notes. You can subscribe to the Priorities Podcast at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcast. While you're there, be sure to leave a review or rating on the podcast page. Those make it more likely that more people will find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Carlin Fisher and James Mahoney helped put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.